to be a good show. Thinking Basketball Podcast. My name is Ben. Welcome back to another episode. Uh, This is going to be an awesome show today, Cody. And the reason I know it's going to be an awesome show is because you and I have just been mainlining basketball for the last two weeks. I mean, we had the inaugural day of the NBA Cup, and I think I got you to move your excitement level from a 5 to a 5.5. For that, all the games were close. It was like the closest night of games. I saw some stat. It was the closest night of games in the NBA in years. If you take all the average scores of all the games, I don't remember anymore how many years it was. Nine years. I've lost track of time. Are you struggling with the time change? Do you know what time it is? I thought we were recording earlier today. Yeah, I was going to say, you. I was still like at school. You're like, are you ready to go? I'm like, like we're starting. It's time. Somewhere it's time to hour. record. Yeah. The thing is with time, though, like you're saying, I, I don't know how I feel about how much time has passed in the season. Because part of me feels like we should be like 30 games into the season. And then sometimes I'm thinking, I'm like, wait, didn't the season kick off like last week? Uh, but yeah, to, to your point about, okay, actually, first of all, Ben, this tournament that's going on in the season, mm. can, can you clarify something for me? Yes, of course. I'm the what gatekeeper it, of the tournament, yes. <laughs> what is it called? Like, what is its official title? Okay, it's called the NBA Cup, right? Okay. And, and, and kudos for going with a unique court. I think they needed a unique mm. court. I think they have to rein back some of the, uh, <laughs> the bright colors for what we would call usability. The usability is a little rough. What was the game I was sharing with you guys the other day with the dark blue court and the team was wearing black and you just could not hmm. see the team? The Nuggets. I think it was Nuggets the, and Mavs. Yes, it was the Nuggets yeah. and Mavs. Yes. Yeah. So they have a very dark blue and a black and no one there realizes color theory or how uh, contrast works or the human eye. And it was, I'm like, okay, there are five Mavs. I can see the Mavs out there. Um, and Jokic, maybe I got him. I don't know. It's it's tough. Um, but yes, the courts, the court idea was good. Some of them, the execution maybe is a little tough on the eyes. But I'm talking about the courts because there's a big cup in the paint is a very creative idea. Like, let's draw a giant sort of championship trophy-like cup because it is the NBA Cup. But then I think the reason you're asking is because when you turn on all the games, it didn't say it was the opening round of the NBA Cup. It said NBA play-in, tur- in-season play-in tournament. Like, that's that's what the ticker said. In-season play-in tournament. See, I was I was explaining this not to my wife. Uh, not playing, just the in-season tournament. Yeah. See, this is actually the co- a conversation I was having with my wife, who's decidedly not an NBA fan, and she was like, "Oh, this is the the play-in tournament." And I'm like, "No, it's okay because it play-in tournament. It's actually the in-season tournament." She's like, "That's what people call it. It's just the in-season tournament." And I'm like, "I th- I think that's what it's called." So I didn't even know. It was the NBA Cup. I think the yeah. NBA Cup aspect of it, like it's like a Mario Kart track, like this is the cup that we are going for, and we can move up the CCs or whatever else for each round. But you know what, Ben? I I, I was impressed. Like, I was watching a couple of those games. For some reason, the one that stands out to me is, like, Grizzlies Blazers, which if you are watching, like, a November 1st Grizzlies Blazers game when both teams have combined, like, one win... Uh, that had like the most energy that that game could possibly have. Like it came down to the wire. There was a Blazers comeback and their crowd was just into it. And I'm like, okay, this, this is the theory of it all. Uh, Ben was right. Ben. So I'm, I'm here to publicly tell you that you are correct. And I have moved the needle a good amount on this, on this, uh, NBA cup. 
All right. All right. I, I mean, if we're going to start with all this warm, fuzzy stuff, um, we, I think we have to go back to the the haze, the fog of war that we experienced at the beginning of the NBA season when we I didn't know left from right what team was good, what team was bad. And Cody, Cody, <clears throat> your Orlando Magic are looking pretty good. Your hesitancy about the New Orleans Pelicans, New, New Orleans, what is my ability to speak and say basic uh, cities is going downhill. The New, this is the time change. The New Orleans Pelicans. Now, people are saying like the Pelicans are four and two. So isn't that good? Cody, I've been watching a lot of Pelicans. Okay. Been watching a lot of Pelicans. Um, they're four and two. Strength of schedule, very soft. Very, very soft. And lots of shooting luck. We were looking at our early season opponent shooting luck and like, you know, you don't expect the open threes that your opponents shoot to be 25-30%. You expect them to be close to league average as the sample size gets larger throughout the year. So they have a ton of shooting luck and they have had a really nice schedule. And they've looked okay from the perspective of like, do I still like the idea of the Pelicans? Yeah, I'm waiting for Trey Murphy to get back. Jordan Hawkins is a super interesting rookie who kind of like a movement shooter who maybe has a little bit more juice to his game. He's, st- he's still young, of course. So it's pretty good. But I think your pessimism, I, at least in the first six games that they've played, I think that's looking good. Your magic are looking good. What else? I just remember waking up this morning and being like, Cody was on one at the beginning of the year. He's dialed in. Let's get Oscar picks from him. Let's go to the racetrack. <laughs> I think my my hesitancy about the Bucks too is still uh, that's the one that hurts me. That one hurts me the most, though. You are so dialed in on that one that we're not even allowed to speak on it this week because we talked about it uh, last week. So anyway, yes, continue with what you were saying. Um, I just want, I just need to acknowledge that that uh, I think I think so far I can't even remember what else you said in that show, but you were just you were knocking it out of the park. I think I, I appreciate all this, Ben. This is this, this helps my confidence right now and we're a couple weeks into the season that I still feel like I don't have a grasp on anyone. Memphis. So, you were selling Memphis stock at the beginning of the year. Your man Tyus Jones is not there. That really hurts their ability to run second team offense when John Morant's not there. Um Phoenix has looked bumpy. I don't think you were too super excited about the Phoenix bench player situation. The Phoenix bench player thing, I had a whole thing about their bigs, but I was actually really high on Phoenix. I think my prediction is they would finish top three, but I'm punting on that, but top three in the West, I should say. Mm. I'm punting on that because we just haven't seen the superstars, and as far as I'm concerned, if all three of the guys, Beal, Booker, and Durant, aren't healthy, like the whole Suns thing just doesn't work. Like That's just not the Suns team I'm talking about, but that's probably not fair since I dinged a bunch of other teams with health-related stuff. Uh, but yeah, the Lakers, I don't actually, I haven't checked in on the Lakers. How, how are the Lakers doing recently? Are they like offensively, do they look like they're doing pretty well? <sighs> That's another one. That is another uh, Hodak special. I mean, they are, uh, and don't worry, we'll go back. You know what we'll do? We'll go back and we'll edit that preview podcast and we'll just take out the Phoenix thing just in case Phoenix continues to trip over their own feet. Um, we haven't really seen the fully operational Suns yet, but from what I have seen in Phoenix, the support system, the the surrounding players, it looks like it might be an issue. And before we get to the Lakers, because we talked about the Lakers a little last week, so I, I wanted to bring this other point up. One thing I've thought about lately, Cody, is in 2024, the teams are so good. I think we are moving to the end of this 
gradual, rapid innovation and evolution of the pace and space era. Everybody's kind of figured out you need shooters and you need positionless and two-man actions. You want three-man actions, just screening and moving and passing and ball handling. So everybody kind of dots their I's and uh, crosses their T's. And we haven't had expansion in a very long time. The players coming into the league today feel like they are more suited to this environment than ever before. Because all these young kids have grown up middle school into high school and then a year or two of college with this change in basketball. They grew up, now it's 2024, Steph Curry's bonkers 2016 season where he just started shooting threes all over the place, 10 threes a game, when I made 402 three-pointers in a single season. That was eight years ago. Eight years ago. So there's a generation now that has grown up with these skills, and I think we're starting to see it. I mean, you just see it with the big men. These guys are unicorns, Victor Wembanyama and Chet Holmgren, and even someone like Evan Mobley. Just the skills when they come into the league are so polished. Paolo Bencaro with your magic. I mean, he's huge, but just incredible amount of skill that these guys have. And so the thing that gets me to Phoenix is you can't survive anymore if your third and fourth player on the court aren't good. You will, it's hard to protect them. It's hard to protect them on offense because you can't hide them anymore, anywhere because if you don't have someone who's a shooter, defenses will take advantage of that in the middle of the regular season. You know, we waited a decade ago uh, till the playoffs before someone's like, hmm, what if I just don't guard Tony Allen? What if we tried that? What if we just, what if we just, uh, let's, let's just leave him alone. Let's not actually leave the paint to guard Tony Allen. Now I feel like teams have a, a process for that when there's a shooter on the court at certain positions, when there's a non-shooter, when there's a guy that hangs out in the dunker spot. The next layer as we talked about last year with with players like Quentin Grimes and sort of like the three and D and dimes and whatnot, is even if you're not a primary driver of offense, in those situations, you still need to be dynamic. You still need to catch the ball, up fake, and attack a closeout. Get into the paint, take two dribbles. Josh Green needs to be able to do more than just stand in the corner and shoot like Bruce Bowen. Grant Williams needs to be able to do a little bit more than just stand in the corner and shoot. And so that's the offensive side. On the defensive side, you will get hunted mercilessly, or if you're too small or you can't cover ground, the, the offenses are all now designed to exploit that organically. So your, your fourth player on the court is a weak link. Your fifth, fifth player is on the court is a weak link. Hard to protect. And that offsets a lot of what you see from the better players. And I actually think this comes back to the Grizzlies, where the Grizzlies lost all this depth and so now they're playing, they're like starting a guy in Zaire Williams who was in their G League last year. And the second you start doing that, the more likely you are to bleed efficiency on offense and defense and go from a team that's winning 50 games to winning 30 games. And I think, to me, I just see that up and down the league this year. Talking about the the Suns for a second, what I find really interesting about them is like Nurkic, you know, they... I feel like I bring this up a lot, but it's actually an action that just every team plays all the time, like a delay action, a big man coming up and being like a DHO hub. They're going to stand little, around at the little delay action. action, a little, little delay little, action, Ben, little stand at the top of the key, space the court, have your big man, you know, hand it off to the guards that just the Jokic special. So I think what's 
not difficult to communicate, but not talked about a ton is like to be a good DHO hub was fairly rare. Like not every big man, even like a decade ago, 15 years ago, not every big man was just like comfortable standing at the top of the key and then running all these actions. Now you watch somebody like the Suns, like Yusuf Nurkic. He was always a pretty solid delay guy because he's, uh, you know, he's a good little passer. He can sometimes take that really interesting looking jump shot. And I think there were a couple seasons where he made like a few of them. People were like, oh, Nurkic can spread the floor, but like he really can't spread the floor. But like, it's not good enough to just kind of be good at that. Like some of these guys, you watch like the Thunder, for instance, Chet Holmgren playing the delay action, right? So he can hand it off. But like, if you go just, if you shade a little bit to one side of him to stop the handoff, he's quick enough and agile enough that he's just going to like dribble by you and just yam it down on you. If he hands it off to somebody and he pops out and you're sticking with Jalen Williams because Jalen Williams is a wizard at getting to the rim and he could just finish, all of a sudden he kicks it out to Chet, who's wide open, and you have to scram out there because he's shooting like 900% from three right now, (laughs) right? So you have these guys that can do the the dribble handoff thing, but like just standing there and being the guy that does that, you need to bring a lot more of these skills because the best players that doing that, Nikola Jokic and even Sabonis with the Kings runs it so well, It's not enough to just do that. And even like defensively for the Suns, you know, I think uh, Drew Eubanks gets a lot of love because you look at some of the the numbers from the past few seasons like, oh, he's a good little rim protector. But that doesn't necessarily mean he's a strong defender. Like I'm thinking about the Lakers game they played, I think, at the end of October. And they were sent like he couldn't handle Anthony Davis in the post. And I know, you know, it's Anthony Davis. That's a very good player. But this isn't a team that's built on being able to send a bunch of double teams, right? They're just not the kind of defensive personnel that can send people scramming and whatever else. So, you know, the theory of the Suns that I was going with is, oh, it's enough to have three high-level offensive players. But I think the level of the league, Ben, at this point, I don't know if that's enough. I don't know if that's enough anymore. So that's, you know, I'm starting to be a little bit more worried about my Suns' prediction now that I'm seeing the season go on. Yeah, yeah, that's where my head is. I think we talked about this on the preview show. It reminded me a little of the 2008 Celtics, where they basically gutted the entire roster to bring Kevin Garnett in and in the same offseason, Ray Allen. And so you had this big three of Garnett, Pierce, and Allen. And then you had a young guard in Rajon Rondo and a young center in Kendrick Perkins. And both of these guys were kind of like defensive-minded. And then you just built, you know, you got a few key pieces. In the Celtics case, they got James Posey, which was a huge haul. The Suns were not able to get an additional player like that. I don't know if the Suns have a 2024 version of like... Eddie House coming off the bench. I don't know. I don't know anymore if you can get a buyout market 2024 version of uh, PJ Brown, who was another big man who was able to play minutes and help. Just because when you get to the top, that talent level is so strong. Like, I mean, I'm just thinking off the top of my head. So I'm probably forgetting someone, but I can't think of a, a huge buyout guy in the last couple playoffs that has been able to come in and really play meaningful minutes off the bench for a contender that needed a role filled like that. Because to your point, the skill level for filling these roles in the best games is so high. And even just going back to what you're saying, that like action that takes place at the top of the key, where a big man is looking to hand it off, there might be a third guy involved in setting a screen, then you can backdoor the screen, you can, the screener can turn around and become the cutter. The the unicorns of the league now are doing everything. So the Thunder have Chet handing the ball off, and he's also spinning and turning and driving and keeping it when they overplay the handoff. Or they're having Chet 
get a screen set for him, like he's 6'3", and he can cut back door, he can get the handoff, he can catch it on the move. It's, it's, it's really incredible to me, the baseline of talent that is required to, to be good right now. And, and I think that's what gets me back to, um, we have a moratorium on them, we can't talk about them, but even a team like the Bucks, where I'm like, what? Malik Beasley running your offense and, and like initiating pick and roll possessions, it just may not really be viable. Um, you know, once a game, maybe, but it's almost like, is it this generation's version of we have to throw it in the post to our big man like 20 times a game instead of, well, we'll give Ben Wallace and Tyson Chandler one jumper. We'll give them one jumper to start the game. They know at the start of the game, they're going to get a play called for them. And then they've eaten for the entire night. Please rebound and defend for the rest of the game. Um, I, I don't know. What do you think? Yeah. And I even said Sabonis. I actually want to backtrack for a second because I don't know about you, Ben. And I know you identified it in a video last year. The Sacramento Kings still might have the offense I enjoy watching the most in the league. Like, if I'm just going to toss on a random game and be like, this is going to be the team I'm going to have the most fun, I think the Kings. Like, their their offensive set, the way that they all know how to move, the way they know when to cut, they know how to, like, uh, resituate themselves on the court. It's just brilliant. They're all on a string. You have Malik Monk coming off the bench, who's just... I don't know if we're going to talk about six men candidates at some point coming up here, but Malik Monk is right at the top of the list for me. He's just a special dude that can create off the bench. But Sabonis is so good in the regular season at operating in this dribble handoff type of action, right? He's so good at, you know, oh, you're going to give me space to attack. I'm just going to jam you all the way to the rim and finish with a little shoulder hook, right? But you can also see where there's some cracks in the armor, where he was hurt last year in the playoffs, where Kevon Looney was like, hey, I'm going to back off. You're going to take a jump shot, right? And Sabonis doesn't want to do that. He still really doesn't have a jump shot. So you can see moments like that where you're like, okay, this guy isn't going to be able to hang quite as well when we get to the playoffs, as opposed to these guys like Chet, who you're like, okay, once he's fully developed, he's going to be an impossible DHO guy to stop. Victor Weminyama, all of a sudden dropping 38 points, crossover step back threes. Obviously, Nikola Jokic. All of these guys have these other skills that make them unstoppable to to play that way. So I think that's an interesting thing that I'm keeping an eye on. It's just like how each team uses the dribble handoff actions and what their big man is able to do beyond just literally handing the ball off. Okay, Cody, it's trivia time. Okay. How many teams in the NBA this season, as of right now, when it's November 6th, are in the top five in offensive rating and defensive rating. Top five in offensive rating and defensive rating. As Cody thinks about that, I am pulling up our uh, team board, which is now live on uh, thinkingbasketball.net for our Patreon deluxe subscribers, patreon.com slash thinkingbasketball. Once we get these going, this is where I live every day, and I'm just soaking in the the you know the offensive uh, analysis of these teams who's doing well in the half court the win projection we look at shooting luck earlier in the year which is crazy I mentioned uh, New Orleans they've had a ton of shooting luck go in their favor so two teams right now oh, okay two teams can you name who they are top five in uh, offense and defense. So I'm, I'm not cheating, by the way, if anyone's seeing me look at a screen. I'm literally just pulling up a list of the teams. Uh, I'm going to guess the Celtics are one of those two. Mm-hmm. What's your other guess? My, I guess it's, I'm going to guess the Nuggets for the other one. Cody's not cheating because those are both incorrect. No way! Yes, yes. The Celtics oh. and the Nuggets are just outside uh, making this cut. The Celtics are sixth in defensive rating and the Nuggets are 
seventh in defensive rating. We might have to do some content and some discussion, long-form philosophical discussion about the Nuggets' defense later on. Not today, in a future episode, because they've had some spectacular possessions. They look really, really good. But they're just missing the cut here. Uh, The two teams are the L.A. Clippers, and we're not allowed to talk about the L.A. Clippers. And the other team is the uh, Philadelphia 76ers. The Philadelphia 76ers. They are fourth in offense. They are fourth in defense. They have the best win pace, according to our simple model that we use of any team in the league. I think they've started incredibly well. Uh, Tyrese Maxey, obviously playing very well. Joel Embiid. And now they've traded James Harden. And we we will I think we'll get to James Harden at a certain point with the Clippers, but I'm starting here with the Philadelphia side. Um, they seem to be playing pretty well. New coach, maybe the removal of Harden changes the dynamic of the offense a little bit, opens things up for Maxi, who's playing incredibly well to start the season, and now maybe a couple of these. Uh, players from the Clippers could contribute. They got a couple wings or big forwards in that trade, and then also possibly uh, more moves to come down the road. So have you seen Philadelphia at all? Do you have do you have thoughts on kind of where they're at? Because I think all things being equal, they've had a, a pretty nice first two weeks of the season. I would say, like, if I were to say three things that come to mind right away when I think about what I've seen with the 76ers... Going back to what I was literally just talking about, Embiid is a DHO hub, right? Like a lot of the times I envisioned last year, a lot more posts. Again, still not. I, I tried looking at stats, Ben. I'll be honest with you. I pulled up the thing, basketball.net stuff. I was looking at it and I'm like, all right, Paul George, 30 points for 75 and it's plus 18. Early. I'm yeah. like, I, I'm done. I can't, I can't look at more stats. So I, I don't know anything off the top of my head, but it seems like Embiid is posting up a lot less. It seems like a dude that Nick Nurse is experimenting with his role, drawing him out from the paint, which is great because this is a guy that that smooth mid-range jumper is just, he can operate in that area so well. So even if the handoff action doesn't work, like you still got the, the, the reigning MVP Ben coming at you in an ISO situation. The other thing that stands out, Tyrese Maxey seems to be slipping into that position without James Harden uh, just fine, which I think kind of makes sense. Last year, there were some pretty strong signals that Tyrese Maxey was uh, a pretty legit scorer when he wasn't on the court with James Harden when he was out there with Embiid so uh, I'd like to see that he's flourishing there and I think that's a really big part of pushing the pace a little bit more I think it's getting the the team out and running and then the other guy that can run with them that adds a new dynamism to their bench Kelly Oubre Jr. Mm. Not a dude that's going to walk in and be like I'm going to set anyone up because let's just say if he's like if you have a dinner party right and you have all of the plates, and you're right, all right, everyone, we need to set the table and start eating. Kelly Oubre Jr. is grabbing all his food and sitting down and starting to eat, which is fine. Like, he's excellent at scoring, but he's just not going to be moving that ball too much. I don't know how many times that guy's passed, but uh, as a finisher, he looks like a really fluid transition guy, driving, uh, just, you know, long, athletic. He brings, like, a verve to their bench along with Paul Reed. So I think, like, there's just a different look to the way that they play, and that's what's really stood out to me about them. So to me, the forwards or the the wings that they currently have are still kind of the question mark in my head. Um, you have Tobias Harris at one of them. And as you said, they're starting Kelly Oubre. Uh, 
are you it sounds like you're a little bit more comfortable with those guys being able to fill in especially Ubre in a situation around better players is that is that fair well I think I think they just bring a different kind of look they bring like a like Kelly Oubre brings a lot more of a different kind of rim pressure, a guy that has a little bit more of a motor. Like, I think, like, the change with James Harden. Yeah, exactly. Just a different different look, essentially, than last season. Yeah. Um, We we can get back to that. I think the the reason that I originally asked this was thinking about Embiid and thinking about our conversation with big men and these just incredibly talented bigs and um, playing – higher up on the floor. I mean, with Harden, you weren't going to get a guy who was cutting back door all the time or doing things off ball or necessarily playing and creating a ton of value when Embiid had it. Here you can create more space and it's natural and organic for the way or Embiid has scored in the past and maybe unlock his passing a little bit off of these kinds of players that you're talking about, off of someone like Kelly Oubre, who might cut a little bit more, off of Maxi, who I think last year, you know, you really talked about how good he is on closeout, second side, changing speeds without the ball. And it's only a few games, but I mean, technically, this is from a statistic statistical signal standpoint, the best Embiid has looked like a passer in his career, that statistical signal will look at things like how often he has the ball and the type of assists he throws and um, turnovers and things like that. But I mean, I think some of his passing has been a little bit sharper. It's 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 always been a progression for him over the years to like see actual huge shifts in his passing game. But I mean, against the Raptors, I thought there were some really nice moments handling double teams that were better than in the past. But also to your point, if you're playing out higher on the floor and you have more of these two and three man actions where you can also involve Embiid as a passer, maybe this gives the offense a little bit more versatility compared to what we've seen in the past where it's like clear out the middle of the floor and give it to him at the free throw line or clear out one side and give it to him on the wing. Let me let me ask you something because you just brought up the double teams with Toronto. Do you feel like because I feel like when you're when you're a post up guy, it's just easier to send double teams, right? The nature of a post up is like you're kind of in the middle of the floor. It's tough to have like a swivel for your head and like look everywhere. It just seems like it might be natural to uh, get double teamed more. If you have the famous Michael Jordan steal against Carl Malone, where you sneak up and and get that. Is Embiid being double teamed fewer times because he's being stationed at the top of the key and that's opening up more space and that's just giving him better avenues for passing? Do you think that's a big part of what's going on? I don't I don't know. I don't feel like I've seen enough of them. Um, I think they've played, what, six games? And I certainly haven't seen like four or five of those games. So I would want to watch at least a couple more to kind of get a feel for how defenses are reacting and then really get a better understanding of the 76ers playbook. But um, that certainly could be a thing. Yeah, I, I just think the more you're going to be idle and stationary in 2024 in today's basketball, the more predictable you are. And here's a great example. Last year, we talked about the way the Nuggets were rotating behind the play to protect Nikola Jokic. We did an entire video on it. We talked about it a good deal. It came up in the postseason. And it comes from the way a lot of teams, I would say at this point in 2024, basically every team is handling these rotations off of double teams, where in the old days, you know, 
the old days being like 15 years ago, Cody, uh, you might double, you might have the ball in the low post. A double team might come from the perimeter. And then that player on the perimeter double teaming would want to recover back to his own man. And you wouldn't have a ton of switching. You might have a built-in double team for some defenses where they say, okay, if player X doubles, player Y comes over and helps in this manner. But for the most part, it was more to one, one to one. Now it's just more normal that you turn on a game any night in the NBA. And if you see a team in that situation defensively, they know like the next guy over down the line he needs to come over and pick up the potential pass that's one pass away, the guy on the same side of the court as the ball. And then the rest of the defense is going to react behind him in unison. It can, it can create some very, very beautiful rotations. And the idea is the player can't run as fast as the ball. So if we know what we're doing, we can use our communication and our size to make the long distance run the thing that's the last pass the ball is going to make. So if I need a guy to run 25 feet across the court, that's going to be three passes away versus one pass away. And I think teams are just so much better at defending these kind of idle sets that you might see with the Philadelphia offense last year. So I think if anything, making it more dynamic and fluid, middle of the court, three-man action, more cutting, whatever, is just going to not allow the defense to dictate what they do to you, basically. In theory, that's the way I think about it. Do you know who's so good at that 25-foot closeout, Ben? Uh, Jaden McDaniels. Yeah, oh, that is that is somebody that's very good at it. Jared Vanderbilt. That's another. I, has, okay, has sorry, he, sorry, sorry. I, I was going to say Josh Green. Josh Green <laughs> oh, stands Josh out Green, as something okay. that's just like he doubles and he's all of a sudden just teleporting to the other side. Uh, when you say all that, what blows my mind is when you can see any kind of rookie like walk into the league and, f- like, actually feel like they know where they are. Like, the complexity of what's going on in the court. Like, you see, like, you know, we, we, Trey Young is much maligned for his defense. But there's still, like, plenty of times where you watch Hawks games and you're like, he's trying out there. Like, here's a possession where he's trying to fly around. He's getting a steal. He's going out here for a contest. Like, these guys are really working and thinking out there. Whenever I see a rookie that goes out there and defensively is like, okay, I can fit into this pretty well. I think that's pretty special when it looks like that they're not completely lost. Uh, do you have any rookies off the top of your head that you're like, hey, here's a guy that he's out here. He fits into an offense or a defense. This is a dude that I'm like, I trust this guy when the chips are down. I don't know if I have an answer, like a good answer off the top of my head to that question without having to like pull up names and teams and remind myself who exists in the NBA. But I, but pardon me, Cody, I'm a little suspicious that you're throwing me a lob. I feel like you're throwing me a lob. You're setting me up. I feel like you're setting me up to talk about Asar Thompson. Am I, am I reading the tea leaves? Absolutely. Absolutely. <sighs> I mean, what do you want me to say? What do you want me to say about Asar Thompson? Do you want me to say he's the greatest man defender to ever play basketball? <laughs> is that what you want me to say? What, what do you think his actual best attribute is on defense? Because this is a dude, he, he was flirting with a 5x5 five five recently. Like, he wasn't, like, one stat away, but he was at least, like, in the ballpark of a 5x5 five five recently. Yeah. Can you explain a 5x5 five five to our audience that is uh, not steeped in box score lore? Yeah, those of you that haven't, like, watched all of Olajuwon or Andre Kurolinko, <laughs> or it's, it's basically you have five... Uh, it's like a triple-double, except you have five of five different statistical categories. So, like, five points, five rebounds, five assists, five steals, five blocks. And he, as a rookie, playing the league for, like, six games was at least flirting with one of those, which are just incredibly rare. They're incredibly rare. 
I don't understand his statistics. We, we should stop and point this out. Um, I think the last player to do what he did last night was Akeem Olajuwon, right? Do, do, am I remembering that correctly? He had a crazy as, stat line last night. Wait, as a rookie or just in general? I thought it was in general. Is it as a rookie? I guess I don't know that. Okay, because, because, because he also started his career with like 10 blocks, a certain number of offensive rebounds, and or sorry, a certain number of total rebounds. I think it was 10 rebounds a game, two and a half blocks a game, and maybe there was a steal component. And he was like the fourth player in NBA history to start their career like this. And and Hakeem Olajuwon was one of them. And like David Robinson, it was only the greatest big men ever who had done this. And then Asar Thompson. And it's like, oh, wait, one of these things is not like the other. And then a week later, he's like, oh, let me see if I can get a five by five. And if you're out there thinking... What's going on? This is the Pistons. You know, are they even a playoff team? This kid was playing an overtime elite last year, and he's very raw, and he's a rookie. I've, I've seen some of the offensive possessions, and um, I mean, they're, they're almost even better than the defensive possessions because he'll just try anything. He'll dribble into three players, fall down. The ball will go into the stands, and it doesn't even matter because he's going to block you on the other end. He's, he's earned it. He's going to get it back. Yes, Asar, um, the, the future is so bright defensively. And what I'm seeing right now is just, uh, have you seen, Cody, have you seen the movie X-Men Days of Future Past? X-Men oh, yeah, Days of Future Past. Absolutely. I, I, it's, one of my, it's one of my favorites. I love yes, that one. Love yes. it. Anything with time travel, I'm just in. <laughs> in. Love it could the, be the worst movie ever. I love the whole vibe of the whole thing. Now, do you remember the scene? Now, this is, a, I'm, I'm trying to do this without giving away spoilers, even though the movie's very old. Um, do you remember the scene where... Who is it like the Flash? Who's the fast guy? You know. He, oh, uh, so quick, Quicksilver. 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 Right. Thank you. Do you remember the yeah. scene where he's running very fast and everyone else appears to be moving slowly? It's the yes. uh, it, Magneto's in the scene, right? Well, I'm it's, trying not to give too much away. Th- yeah. This movie, this came, movie came out like 2012. <laughs> like people aren't going to be angry about a spoiler from 30 minutes into this movie. I know okay. exactly what you're talking about. Yes. Yeah, so basically, he's moving so fast that he can do whatever he wants, and other people are at his mercy, and he can go, you know, have a he can throw a ball in the air and then uh, eat 12 things and then go back and catch the ball before it falls. That's how Asar Thompson plays defense, Cody. That's what's happening out there. It's amazing you say this because I still remember there was a Matisse Thibel play from from a couple seasons ago where I literally slowed it down to half speed and he picked off a pass and I'm like he's just moving like the same speed as everyone else. There's one particular uh, game performance recently with Thompson. Which one? There's, <laughs> there's one. I think I think we talked about this. His uh, performance defending Shea when they were playing the Thunder. This this uh, this is not suitable for work to bring this up. It, it's it, NS. FW. It's simply simply put, Ben, it might be the best like individual half of defense I've seen one player play against Shea before. And this is a rookie. Like he was making him throw up air balls. He was not biting on fakes. It was it was really incredible stuff for a rookie. Like this guy's ceiling is legitimately like conversation about defensive player of the year at some point. Not this year. I'm just saying that like potential going forward with this dude. Well, I mean, it raises questions about how how valuable your on ball defense can be and what else you need to do off ball? And, you know, is there a limit for a guy who's 6'5"? Well, we can get to that down the road. But I, I just, I didn't want to bring up the Shea thing. It was too, <laughs> I mean, I, how many, how many like superstar offensive players? I mean, Shea was first team all NBA last year. And if you missed this game, we might have to do a little video 
action on this just so people can experience what I experienced that night. Um, Cody's not exaggerating. Like, it was crazy. It, it was it was kind of like if I tried to play in the NBA. That's what that's what it felt like watching Shea go against Asar Thompson. And Asar Thompson is a rookie. It's incredible. Yeah. So, you know, I, I think we talked about the Pistons a little bit before, but, you know, Asar Thompson is definitely a rookie that I've, I've enjoyed watching so far. Another rookie, Ben, that I know you like as well that has come up a couple times in discussions. I think he looks pretty solid defensively, not wrecking like the court like we are seeing Asar Thompson do. Uh, what do you think about Cason Wallace so far? This is fantastic, Cody, because right. you you took me on a detour. I felt manipulated. I felt like you were drawing out my Asar love for the world to, to put it on display for the views and the clicks. And the, what do they call them, the aggregators? We don't have yeah, aggregators. The, yeah, the aggregators. <laughs> we don't have any aggregators, do we? No, no, no one's ever... I, I yeah. don't think so, actually. Please don't start aggregating. That no. seems annoying. No, not a fan of the outside aggregators. Um, In fact, just it. stop listening to the show. Just leave it to me and Ben talking back and forth, and then, you know, we'll just leave it with that. I made a graduate re- reference. No one's going to get that. I missed um, you can't. You cannot make 1967 movie jokes anymore. It's, the time has passed. We've really lost that ability. The you Thunder, I wanted, I wanted to talk about the Thunder more. Oh, I wanted to, because we we've talked we talked about Chet last week. We were talking about him earlier, and I feel like the Thunder to put a to put a bow on this conversation for today. I feel like they're the team that epitomizes so much of what we were talking about with the evolution of the game and positionless basketball and being creative with your X's and O's. You know, uh, Mike Delarosa, our video coordinator, did a video a couple weeks ago about all their inverted guard-guard screens that they like. But you you watch them on any given night, and Shea didn't play the other night. And they were great. They were great in that game. It was a great game against the Warriors. Another NBA Cup game. Just spectacular. Um, Jalen Williams is basically a point guard. Josh Giddy is basically a point guard. A guy you would actually think, like, nominally might be a point guard, like Isaiah Joe, he's actually just more like a shooter. He's, he's actually one of their more limited guys in terms of these other things that they're running. But Shea, Giddy, Jalen Williams, Chet Holmgren. Um, you mentioned Cason Wallace. He's not quite there offensively, but he's, his cutting and his feel for where to go as a rookie are phenomenal. And he can take the ball, get into some actions, and make things happen. I actually think as a sidebar with Kaysen, I'm excited about that in the future going forward to see how much he can expand his offense. But even now as just a limited sort of piece of that puzzle, he can do that as well. Lou Dort, they start, he's, he's like on the lower end of that spectrum, but they just have a ton of these players out there that make things happen. The X's and O's are creative. The spacing is creative. And yeah, I'm, I, I'm excited about Wallace, um, but also just some of these other guys that the Thunder have, Jalen Williams, and really the guy who's jumped out to me to start this year is Josh Giddy. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. So the thing with uh, the Thunder that just blows my mind when I watch them is they have, like you said, Jalen Williams is on the court. Josh Giddy's on the court. But you know who's bringing the ball up? 
Chet Holmgren. Chet, yeah. Like, yeah. It, you watch it, you're like, oh, wait a second, what's going on? So, like, the way that they invert all of that and just kind of start possessions in a way that you wouldn't expect, I think it just kind of wrong foots the defense. Like, they just kind of don't expect it, especially when Chet brings it up and he's like, all right, I'm just going to pull up from here and nail it. And it's really incredible. Lou Dort in that game we were just talking about with the Warriors, 28 points on, like, 96% true shooting. Like, that was, that was Michael Jordan performers. Like, he was out there just not missing anything. I have a historical comp for you, Ben. I have Michael Jordan. Comfort. Michael Jordan would never have a twenty-eight point ninety-six percent true shooting because that would mean he only took fourteen shots. So <laughs> it would be it would be a forty-eight point ninety-six percent true shooting. You have an historical comp. I'm excited about this. What? What? Okay. Here we go. I'm, let's so, all sit back. We need music for when Cody does his historical comps. I got to talk to the producers about this. So I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna see if you can guess who I'm thinking of here. So Case and Wallace, right in the lineage. I'm going to go with the Seattle Sonics player, okay? A guard that's multi-talented, 6'4", 6'3"-ish, a guy that fits next to other high-end talent. I don't know numbers, but Sorry. maybe you're right. <laughs> um, a guy, you know, I think this guy had a had an all-star season at one point and then just fit into some high-level teams pretty well with his ability to defend multiple positions. He could shoot the ball very well from three. He had a little bit of a developed driving game. Who do you think I'm talking about here, Ben? Now wait a second. Wait a second. I first at first I flashed the guy's number to our our YouTube audience of who I thought you were talking about. And then you started talking about All-Star games and now I'm a I think he conf- made an I think he made an All-Star game. I think he made an All-Star game. This is one uh, of my favorite. This is one of my favorites, Ben. This is one of my all-star I'm games. thrown off again because the player I'm thinking of did not did not make an All-Star team. Um but he played for the Sonics, right? Yeah. Who are you thinking of? I was thinking of Nate McMillan. Oh, you're thinking of Nate McMillan. Who are you? Th- Wait a second. What's going on? Who are you thinking of? I'm thinking, Ben, I'm thinking of Hersey Hawkins. But Hersey Hawkins, Hersey Hawkins is more of like a shooter. Yeah, but he has the shooting capability. I think he turned into that when he fit into the championship level Sonics teams, right? Earlier in the decade, this guy, this guy could take it off the dribble. This dude had the athleticism to finish. This dude had a fearlessness and a gutty defensive player despite being like, I don't know, 6'3", 6'4". I just, I watch Casey Wallace and I think, that's Hersey Hawkins right there. That is Hersey Hawkins going forward. Wow. This did not go in the direction I thought it was going to go. I feel like Nate McMillan's a lot more of a just like classic play distributor lockdown defensive type like he's more of like a kyle anderson lineage than a than a case and wallace lineage i think of uh i think i thought you were going to go in a totally different direction i thought you were going to compare him to drew holiday that's oh where i God. thought you were going to go well we yeah. need to we need to slow that one down first. <laughs> why why do we need to slow that one down why tell tell everyone why we need to slow down is is it because drew holiday is really good it's plus minus God Drew Holiday. Like you need to jump a couple of players before we get to that point. I love Hersey Hawkins, but like Drew Holiday's Drew Holiday, man. Yeah, um, I don't know. I just didn't didn't think about the shooting in that okay. way. I think the the shooting is something that uh, will be interesting to see how much it can come along. He shot thirty five percent in college last year from three, seventy six percent from the line. I think of Hawkins as more of a shooter. Okay, on the outside. Okay. Maybe you're right. Yeah. Maybe you're right about that. I, I believe I believe in Case and Walls, and I just wanted to bring up some. There's not enough Hersey Hawkins discussion in the no. world. Um, he's one of those those role guys that needs to be talked about more. But yeah, overall, uh, Josh Giddy, I'm interested that you brought up Josh Giddy as somebody that stands out to you, because I feel like I have uh, 
complicated feelings about Josh Giddy. Why? I have complicated feelings. So what's going on? It, let's talk. Let's talk through this, Ben. He didn't slander the movie Barbie, did he? No. <laughs> I didn't say I'm completely out on the guy, right? Oh, I, I, okay. Okay. I, I, that, I, we wouldn't even be talking about Josh Giddy if that happened. Um, oh, he I, would get I, the he would get the Clippers treatment as well. He, he would get the Clippers yeah, treatment. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I, I could. I'm I'm starting to feel ready to talk about the Clippers. By the way, I could probably bring them up once or twice. But we should probably wait for James Harden. Anyway, Josh Giddy. Tall dude, right? He's very tall. Physical. Great passer. Okay. Mm-hmm. I think I think it's actually passe at this point to say he's great at throwing inbounds passes. He's the greatest inbounds passer yeah. of all time. Yeah. Mike De La Rosa brought that up and then all of a sudden everyone else saw, said it. So I'm pretty sure that he started the trend. Everyone should be citing Mike whenever the slob wizard stuff comes up. Slob wizard. They added it to basketball reference. He is now officially known as the slob wizard, which means one day when I make a video about him and I call him the slob wizard, I'll get a lot of comments saying, nobody calls Josh the slob wizard. <laughs> the answer is everybody. Is I get, just had get to on Twitter a little bit, yeah. Um, I feel like I don't love the scoring aspect of Josh Giddy's game. Like, I feel like there's a lot of times where I see him driving and he kind of settles on, like, this weird floater range, sometimes wrong foot, and I don't know if it's supposed to be the wrong foot type of shot he takes and it clangs off the backboard even in that aforementioned warriors game it was one of those where i was like getting more and more disenchanted with his game and then all of a sudden he scored like five straight and ones and I'm like all right fine i guess this is josh giddy it's just on a team with so many guys that are so good at handling the ball and so good at doing a bunch of different things that i'm like do we really want the ball in josh giddy's hand too much but then like i said he has those moments where he looks incredible so i don't know i wish he could space the floor better I wish he was a little bit better of a finisher. I wish he could use that gap dribble a little bit more. Um, I don't know. I just feel complicated about Josh Giddy at times. Cody, yeah. who is the shooting coach for the Oklahoma City Thunder? Who is I'm, the shooting coach for the Oklahoma City Thunder? Is it, uh, is, it, is it Chip England? It is Chip England. Yeah. England, England. Cody, who is the greatest shooting coach in the history of all of basketball? It's Chip Ben. It's, I actually didn't know he was the shooting coach in Oklahoma. Well, I mean, he's what a, he is a high assistant position, or I don't know what his official title is there. That's again, that's one of those basketball reference nicknames. Um, but like Giddy, to your point, has taken in his entire NBA career 462 threes, and he's made 29 percent of them. In his first two years, he was 72 percent from the line. This season, um, he's only taken nine free throws, so I'm not going to pay any attention to it. But but, Cody, Josh Giddy just turned 21 years old. He just turned 21 years old. His feel for the game is fantastic. His size is fantastic. I see no reason why he can't be a decent shooter. And this is the age where you would want a great shooting coach to say, hey, let me work on your mechanics. So all of us, I mean, we saw this with Brandon Ingram, right? One of the all-time examples. By the time you're 23... You're a consistent 35 to 38% three-point shooter. You're in the 80s from the free throw line. I see no reason why Josh Kitty can't get there from the outside. And then to all this other stuff, last year, I mean, I have the numbers here somewhere. Um, last year on drives, here we go, thinkingbasketball.net. Last year on drives, 23rd percentile in the league on his efficiency on drives. Mm -hmm. But what I'm seeing this year that I really like, the reason why I'm specifically calling out this conversation is he looks so much stronger. 
and he's he's not slower. He's not less agile. He's just growing into his body and becoming more athletic. And if you can throw your body around and you have great control over your pivot foot, you're big, you have great feel, you're, and you're a great passer, um, think about what Luka Doncic does at that size and how devastating it is. Even though when he came in the league, everyone's like, well, he can't get by people, blah, 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 blah. I'm obviously not saying uh, Giddy's going to be Luka Doncic, but just I think... I expect to see those kinds of numbers go up as he fills out and as he gets older. And this is the exact thing I would look for. And so I'm looking at that as a shell of a player and going, man, by the time he's 23, if he can shoot and he's actually hard to contain around the rim because of all the ball handling and the size, that's going to be a pretty decent score. And that's not even the thing I'm super excited about with him. I'm excited about all the other stuff with the passing and the feel and how he fits in next to these guys in the game, the way it's played today. So that's where my optimism is coming from. It's, it's very uh, future facing because the numbers so far, especially the efficiency numbers on his scoring have been real problem. And I think the future phase, that's probably the right way to see it. He's like in the same category as like Dyson Daniels for me, where it's like, here's a dude that has a nice feel for the game, good defensive chops, but the scoring aspect of it needs to go together. It's just, I, I don't know, maybe it's the fit necessarily with the Thunder, but I know in Mike's video, he talked a lot about how his passing ability allows him to be set up in different parts of the court. So maybe I'm being overly negative here, but uh, I, I don't know. I just, I have complicated feelings when I see Giddy, but I think you're probably on the right track here. Yeah, and then we haven't even gotten to Jalen Williams, who's um, he's just such an such an interesting player. Like seven two wingspan. Um, what what position is he? How good is his shot? He's shot very well in the NBA, or maybe I should say he shot fairly well in the NBA uh, in his first year and five games and change or whatever it is. So there's just a ton going on there that makes them a really fun, interesting competitive team but also a team that to me kind of represents the I mean the Jazz are doing really cool things with their X's and O's as well but I I love the way Mark Dagnall is sort of using the parts there and creating the offense around all these different kinds of players who you know if you if you try if you if you wanted to look up in the dictionary positionless basketball uh, it would be a picture of this team I feel like do you want to talk about the Jazz at all? Is that a team you want to expand this conversation on? Uh, no, let's save that. Let's save that for later. Yeah, okay. let's save that for later. Is there anything else we need to hit today before we get out of here and come back? What are we're, we're going to come back on Thursday and we're going to do some fun stuff? I think so. Yeah. I yeah. Think so. Yeah. Man, there's still so many teams we haven't talked about, Ben. Like that's why I, we have to come back on Thursday. I haven't commented on the Grizzlies just being terrible. I guess we kind of commented <laughs> on it. <laughs> Clipper, Timberwolves look interesting. Gobert looks like Gobert. I don't know what I'm doing here. I'm just you're naming, you're saying teams, <laughs> saying teams, and that's good. No, that's good because you don't want you don't want to <laughs> feel like your team isn't mentioned. Like you just knit Knicks, Nets. You just say it, and then the Dallas Mavericks. You know, this way they can't say we didn't talk about your team during the show. That's true, Ben. Did you see Fred Van Vliet hit that pull up three for the Rockets? The other day, that was that was quite the jump shot that young man has. Hold on, I just before we leave, I just need to check. Was that like a seriously big shot, or do you mean any generic shot he hit in a game? I'm I'm just talking about literally any pull up jumper 
that Fred oh, Van Fleet hits. That's when you know it's time to, to end the show. If, if you want to get access uh, to our stats board that we use all the time, it's got all sorts of fun stuff looking at um, for players, multi-year shooting numbers and drives and all these other things we talked about. Uh, passer rating and things like that. Patreon.com slash thinking basketball. That's the place to uh, check that out. And that's also just the best place to directly support us. We do other things like uh, live monthly Q&A where uh, the subscribers pick my brain about whatever's not going on right now. Like whatever I'm studied up on, then, you know, it's going to be a question about the 1987 Philadelphia 76ers or something. That's probably what they'll ask me about this month. Uh, Patreon.com slash thinking basketball. Cody, you... You have a very pensive face. Do you have any thoughts? Do you have you seen? Did you see any good movies this week that you wanted to let us know about before we get out of here? I was just thinking about the kinds of questions they'll ask you, and they'll be like, "Ben, can you rank David Cronenberg, David Cronenberg's filmography for us?" Like that's the kind of question you'll probably get. In the chat. <sighs> yeah. You know, I actually have a question. I have, this is a good question to end for those that like stuck around. Is it about David Cronenberg? No, it's about movies though. Oh, cool. Okay. So well, this okay, is this, great. This this is a little bit old this is at a this bonus. point. This is a little bit old at this point. Do you know that whole trend when people are like, how many times a day or how often do you think about the Roman Empire? Did you see this at all? No. Okay. Well, th- there was this whole thing where it's like, I think it was a TikTok thing where it's like, guys, how many, how often do you think about the Roman Empire? And it was this whole thing that's like, no one realizes how often dudes think about the Roman Empire. I have a twist on it, Ben, that I think you'll match me on. How often, Ben... Do you think about the movie Everything Everywhere All at Once? Oh, I thought you were going to ask me about the Oklahoma City Thunder, and I got nervous there for a second, because I was like, every 12 minutes. Um, How often do I think about it? I think about it usually when other people reference it or bring it up. And then I think about it when I see rocks. Yeah. Like I'm on a, like I'm hiking, I'm hiking out here in California and I'm, I'm in the wilderness and I'm in the woods and I come to a cliff and I see some rocks and I think those rocks have it figured out. Yeah. I don't know what I'm doing up here on the edge of this cliff, but those rocks, they, they know something. They're in a good place, those rocks. So it's, it's a little bit often. It's not something that you think about just like once a year. Is that what the Roman Empire thing was? That once a year, or is it? No, all I think the time? Mo- like there are some dudes that were like, I think about it daily. Like I literally think about the Roman Empire every day. And when I heard that, the first thing I thought of was like, I think I think about everything all, everything everywhere all at once every single day. Something triggers some Ooh. kind of thought where I'm like, this movie is just in my head. That's a, no, that's a lot. That's way more frequently than me. I mean, when did it come out? Two years ago. I think so. Was it last? It was last, last year. year. <laughs> no, this is so. This is. It was like yeah, because it was. It, it just won the the Oscar. It won all the Oscars. I think it was last last spring. That was the last Oscars. Yeah. We haven't yeah. done any more Oscars since then. I I don't think so. We got to stop the show. I don't know what year it is. This is ridiculous. <laughs> Cody actually, but right before we recorded, Cody was telling me uh, something was in the year twenty twenty three. And I thought he was messing with me. And I was like, Cody, stop. It's 20, it's been 2024 for like two weeks. We've already moved in <laughs> to 2024. Uh, thanks. Thanks for, thanks for coming on this journey with us. I think, I think we learned a lot. <laughs> and, uh, not necessarily about basketball or anything, but about rocks and movies and, and time. And, uh, and Christopher Nolan, he likes to play with time. He's a, he's a guy that does a lot of stuff with time. God, in- David Fincher's The Killer comes out this weekend on Netflix because I haven't gone to a limited release yet. I'm so hyped for it. I'm so hyped for this. If you uh, if if you want to help Cody, go to the go to the Killer. 
then support us at patreon.com slash thinking basketball. Otherwise, thanks for they're watching this one uh, or listening to this one all the way through. Hope, hope you enjoyed it as always. We will be back on Thursday to talk about more basketball and get to the bottom, get to the bottom of these problems that we're trying to solve. And uh, as always, I hope you're having a great day.